0: Alright, well good to see everyone here today, and I want to just ask you a question, what went wrong in the story? I mean, if any of you have lived for any time on this earth, you had to have asked yourself that question, right? What has gone wrong? Why are things the way they are? Why has this happened? We all have that question. Something just doesn't seem right. Right? and what went wrong. And if you've been raised in church or you've been at church for any given time, we know the answer, right? Someone ate a bad apple. <laughs> Are you right, that's the bottom line. Someone ate a bad apple. They ate the Fuji, not the gala, right? And everything was perfect before that, but then this happened. Everything has now become just a disaster, but don't worry, it will get perfect again. And you know what? Uh, Even MTV understood this story. If any of you are my age, you might remember this early MTV bumper they used to do. Check this out. MTV's the apple, right? I love that. It's the temptation. It's sucking you away, right? So what is the problem? Today, we're going to dive into this story as we continue our rescue series, the story of grace we see throughout the Bible. And we're gonna take a look at the story that we find in the book of Genesis, but also like what takes place after. I'm gonna start with a simple question. And this is my question I wanna start with today. What did God say about creation in Genesis one? What did he say about creation? It was what? It was good, right? Okay, I put that up there. So that it was good and humankind was very good. Now, I just want to start off by considering that it doesn't say perfect. It might have been perfect. I don't know. I wasn't there. But it says it was good. And it says that humans were were very good. But I want us to consider this and kind of rethink this a little bit today today. Because that narrative of total perfect, all bad, someday perfect, maybe we'd have to just, you know, kind of break that down a little. Rethink and reconsider that idea. Because here's the thing that that I believe, is that I don't believe the problem stems from a one-time event, but a systemic reality that started from the beginning and continues to repeat itself. That's a big deal for me, like, that it, that's not just this one-time event, it's a systemic problem. It's a story of humankind. It's a story of humankind, their relationship with each other and God, the good, the bad, and the ugly, and there's a lot of all of it there. And there's a progression. There's this progression of the bad or the problem. Uh, I kind of want us to think of it in this way, that the problem starts off in the individual but progresses to be a problem on a much bigger scale. So yeah, we're going to see that it starts off, you know, as an individual, but it definitely grows. And the individual is a big part of it, but not the only part of it. And And I think that's important for us to think about because salvation has become such an individualistic thing like this just thing between God and I especially in our western culture with such a self centered culture we live in I'm saved are you right I mean that's it I'm saved are you and I got saved and I'm not of this world and I'm getting out of here and I'm going to spend eternity with Jesus in a mansion driving a Ferrari and I just can't wait to get there I kinda still hope it's a Prius, but maybe gas isn't as expensive there, I don't know. But but I wanna tell you that this focus, like this focus, I believe, has caused many to think that this world just doesn't matter. I mean, I'm just passing through. Just to try to get there. This place is a big mistake, a big problem, it's just a mess, and the end is coming, and I hope it's tomorrow. That's the mentality. Because salvation in that narrative is about getting me out of here and getting me to there. Get me out of here and get me to there. I want to challenge you with this thought. That God's work of rescuing is not about separating heaven and earth, but bringing it together. I just want us to think about that. That God's rescuing is not about separating heaven and earth, but bringing it together. I believe when you read the whole thing, that's the narrative that kind of unfolds. That's the hope that we're supposed to be thinking about. There's a bunch of verses, it's kind of fun. I, a guy ran up to me, he goes, what about this verse is awesome, <laughs> and this one? And we, uh, we were, he's walking with me, we're looking at all these verses. But these are the couple that kind of hit me. Ephesians chapter one is talking about that, this mystery of God's will according to his good ple- uh, pleasure that's purposed in Christ is this, to bring all things in heaven and earth together under one head, even Christ. That's Ephesians one, to bring it all together. What about Revelation? The big scary end book, Right. Revelation 11, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ and he will reign forever and ever. You see, there's a bringing together of the kingdom and earth and the kingdom of heaven. So so let's think through this beginning problem. Let's take a look at this and we're going to look at uh, uh, Genesis 3 through 11 and there's actually four stories we see unfold and we're going to consider, like, what are the consequences of the problem that we see, and how does God respond? Now, the four stories are Adam and Eve, Cain and Abel, the flood, and the Tower of Babel. That's all Genesis three through eleven. And I encourage you to read it when you get home, or at some time maybe. So let's start with Adam and Eve. What happened? What is the result? And then ultimately, how does God respond? I'm sure most of us know the story. Adam and Eve lived in the Garden of Eden and they were living together. They were enjoying God, each other, and everything else. I love Genesis 2:25. It puts it this way, that the man and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. It was this idea of just unity and no shame and togetherness. And that's how they lived. It was good. And let's just keep it there and be careful not to get stuck on perfect, right? But it was good. And there was a tree in the middle of this garden. And there's a whole bunch of trees, but one of them, God told them not to eat. We see it in Genesis 2, verse 16. You are free to eat from any of the tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat of it, you will surely die. So don't eat from that tree. So as the story goes on, Adam's wife Eve gets tempted she gets tempted by the voice of a serpent right this is what it goes on to say Uh, the serpent tells her well you're not gonna die the serpent said to the woman for God knows that when you eat of it your eyes will be opened and you will be like God knowing good and evil and she listens and she takes the fruit and she gives some of it to her husband Adam and they eat and what happens Verse 17 says that then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized that they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. So they went from being unashamed to being ashamed, guilty, like they were naked and ashamed, but now they're clothing themselves and they're hiding from each other. And then they hide from God a little later on in the story. And when God comes and goes, where are you? Why do you, how do you know you're naked? you eat. Here. And Adam goes, it was the woman that you gave me. And then Eve goes, whoa, it was the servant, the serpent that deceived me. And here we go, man, we're off to the races, right? Of sin resulting in guilt, shame, and blaming everyone else for the situation I'm in. I'm so glad we don't do this anymore. I don't ever hear about this kind of stuff, right? Oh, man, this is what, this is this ongoing, you know, reality. What's the real problem? Like, what really happened here? Because you know what? As I read this story over and over again, I don't think, I don't feel like this heart of rebellion in Eve. Like, oh, I'll show God, you know? Like, it wasn't this rebellious thing. It was like this like what she saw in this longing for something else. Matter of fact, this is how I put it. I put it that I believe that the story of Adam and Eve is about desiring to have more, knowing more, and the struggle of being my own God. Oh, I can have more, I can know more, and I could be like God, I'll take it. This is the beginning of the grass is greener on the other side. Have you ever experienced that? man, if I just got this, I'm going to be more fulfilled, I'm going to have more, I'm going to, oh man, that's what I need. That's what I believe is going on here. And, they, and, and she wants it so much she'll eat the forbidden fruit. Her stomach, her desires, her longings for more became her God. And that changed. It changed her and it changed him. And what did God do? Well, God curses the serpent. He then curses the ground. It says that he made childbearing painful. Sorry, ladies, but Eve did take that fruit, right? And then he would like uh, make Adam have to labor for food because the ground would be cursed. And they would have to leave the garden. And it even gives a hint in there that they left the garden because God wanted to protect them from continuing on this journey and getting deeper and deeper into it. And so what is the consequences we see in this story? What's the consequence? I think this is the consequence. Because of Adam and Eve's sin, they suffered with guilt and shame that damaged their relationship with each other and God. It just just became this guilt, shame, that understood their nakedness and it damaged their relationship and it did some damaging on their relationship with God. But here's my question I want to ask you. Did God leave them at that time? Did God leave them? Did He reject them? Did God turn His back on them? Were they then separated from God? Look at Genesis 3:21. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife, and He clothed them. He made skin and He clothed them. How beautiful is that? You're ashamed? You feel naked, I'll clothe you. I'll clothe you. So, so not only did they not die, so not only did God not kill them on the spot, right? For he did tell Adam that he would die if he ate, but he was right there with them and covered them with his love and grace. That is a powerful reality in the story. And I, okay, I wasn't going to necessarily bring up this verse, but it definitely captured me and got me thinking, right? Uh, The very next section in the verse, in Genesis 4, 1, I'd even put it on the screen, it says this, and Adam made love to his wife, Eve. God is already bringing them back together, bringing their lives and helping them overcome the guilt and shame of their nakedness. It didn't turn all bad. And then Adam was with his wife. But then they had a couple boys. <laughs> yeah, anyone here with a couple boys? I got a couple boys. I could be pretty crazy, right? They had Cain and they had Abel. And that desire that we saw in Adam and Eve is gonna take a little deeper root and it's gonna kind of take a turn for the worse. You see, Abel... The one son kept the flocks and Cain, the other son, worked the soil, sweating of the brow, thanks to Pops probably, right? (laughs) Like this is hard work now. And they brought an offering to God and Abel's offering was accepted by God and Cain's offering wasn't. But God had warned Cain. Like before this happened, God had warned him, look at this, in Genesis four, he's he's talking to Cain and he's gonna go, hey, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must master it. Hey, something's gonna be going down and you, sin's gonna be crouching. It's gonna wanna grab hold of you. You need to master it. And so what does Cain do? He ignores God's warning and he kills his brother. And he kills his brother. And this is kind of how I see it, that that Cain's desire for more turns to envy, jealousy, and murder. Cain's desire for more just gets deeper. You see, in Adam and Eve, their desire was to kind of move and gain, and I'm going to take that fruit. That turned to where Cain is now saying, I now want what you have, and I'll do whatever it takes to get it, even if it means I have to kill you. That's a deeper problem. That's what it progresses to. This is a systemic problem for all people since all time. In James chapter four and verse one, it says this, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Have you ever wondered that? Why do I fight so much? Why can't we get along? Well, don't they come from your desire, that battle within you? This is so simple. You want something, but you don't get it. So when was the last argument you got into and what was it that you want that you didn't get? Attention, your way, your way, More well, I don't know, what is it? You kill and you covet, but you cannot have what you want, and so you quarrel and you fight. That's just what happened. That was going on in Cain and Abel. That was the issue, and that's the issue we still see. So what happened? Well, Cain had to live with the reality that he killed his brother, and I think as what God ends up saying to him. I think that kind of sits in his heart. But here's a different thing is that where God, with Adam and Eve, cursed the serpent and cursed the ground, God actually tells Cain that there's now a curse on you. It's like, it's like God is kind of saying like, man, okay, you take of a fruit, that's one thing. You take of a life, that's another thing, right? Look what he says in Genesis 4. It says it's now you are under a curse, he says to him. You're going to be driven from the ground. It's like they were driven from the garden out to here. Now they're getting, he's getting driven further, which opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand caught, right? And when you work the ground, it will no longer yield its crops for you. You will be restless wanderer on the earth. And now I want you to pay attention to what this does to Cain because he could just sit there and go, cool, I'm going to get me a Volkswagen bus and go cruise around, man. I'm a wanderer. No, check it out. And Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is more than I could bear. This is pretty heavy. Today you are driving me from the land and I will be hidden from your presence and I will be restless wanderer on the earth and whoever finds me will kill me. What a heavy burden. This is just like, he's so distraught on the consequences of his actions. And you know what I think the ultimate consequence is? I think it's fear. here's what I I think is going on here is that Cain's consequences fear he's afraid God's going to leave him it says he's afraid people are going to kill him he's going to die and he's afraid of this restless wandering I mean fear just takes over and he has to face this reality so how does God respond well that's what you get is that what he does Listen to the God, God, God's heart here. I love this. But the Lord said to him, not so. How cool is that? Not so. Man, I'm going to be far from hidden from you. I'm going to be killed. I'm going to be wandering. This is terrible. Not so. If anyone kills Cain, he will suffer vengeance seven times over. Then the Lord put a mark on Cain so that no one who found him would kill him not so Cain first of all you will not be out of my presence because where can you go from my presence Bible says you can't go anywhere from his presence right and you might be afraid but no one's going to harm you I'm going to protect you and it's a crazy thing I mean this idea right here that God's grace rescues even in the midst of our darkest times and most heinous actions God goes to Cain, and he protects Cain. Okay, I debated whether I wanted to speak this verse or not. But the next verse in Genesis four seventeen says, And Cain made love to his wife. Community, family, unity. It ain't all bad. God's moving towards those that are struggling that are sinning. But the progression of sin and destruction, it doesn't stop there, right? It just keeps moving forward. And by the time we get to Genesis chapter six, it's moving from desiring a fruit to desiring what someone else has with jealousy and envy. And we get to Genesis 6:11, and it says this, now the earth was corrupt in God's sight and was full of violence. So God said to Noah, I am going to put an end to all people. And then he goes on, he says, for the earth is filled with violence because of them. And I surely going to destroy both them and the earth. So Noah, build a boat. Get your family in there and some animals, and I'm just gonna take and wipe this whole thing out before they wipe each other out. See, see this is what's going on is that the heart of Cain towards Abel has progressed to a world where violence rules. Now, I, was, I was driving with, I was talking with my buddy the other day, and he just kind of said, We were talking about this, and he just kind of said, I wonder how the world was between Cain and And Noah. I mean, it just must have been like, it could have been the worst time in human history where just violence and destruction is taking place. But but here's what I want us to step back from. Before we turn to like God is ticked and he's about to throw a rager and destroy everybody. Sometimes I think we think that's this message that this is what God's gonna do, man. You have offended me and now you're done. But the Bible in Genesis chapter six, it tells us what God's heart is. Look at verse six. The Lord was grieved that he had made man on the earth and his heart was deeply troubled. He was grieved. He was troubled. His heart was broken. This is powerful. This shows the heart of God and that the way we do, what we do towards each other grieves him and troubles him. And I'm just gonna clean it up. I was, I was at a conference over this week and I'd been studying this passage and the guy, one of the speakers there just kind of went on this. I mean, he just made God sound so angry, you know, that he's just, God's just so angry. And he was talking about talking to his kids, I think. And then he talked about like, I mean, him about Noah and just look what God did. And I'm just like thinking going, man, we look at things differently. <laughs> and I'm just sitting there just like going, mm, mm, you know, you know, when we look at things differently. Because God's love towards them, he was grieved. The love of his creation, his heart was troubled. You see, this is the story of the flood. The story of the flood is a story of God's heart to rescue, not God's desire to destroy. That's what it is. It's his heart to rescue. It even compares it to like Jesus and baptism and the washing. In the New Testament. And, and that's just a different picture. I think that's the picture. That's the narrative. And I think that's the narrative of the Bible. This is what we want us to see. From the beginning to Jesus especially. And we want, that's what he wants us to see. But it gets so muddied and distorted. And for so many, many years. It's just gotten distorted. And just by religion. And by everything going on around us. And I just think it's amazing. That we just don't see it. And we have a hard time seeing the heart of God with Adam and Eve and Cain and Abel and now the flood. God's heart and his caring and his desire to rescue. And I love when they get out of the ark. After they get out of the ark, this is so cool. The Lord smelled the pleasing aroma and said in his heart. (laughs) It's like the floodwaters are clearing, life is coming out, and he just goes... Never again will I curse the ground because of man. Even though every inclination of his heart is evil from childhood, you know, it's like, I get it. Man, Eve just wanted that, Cain wanted that, and the whole world is just pretty messed up, you know. And never again will I destroy all living creatures as I have done. And I loved this part. As long as the earth endures, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night, will never cease. This is a story of rescue, This is a story of grace, a story of hope. God rescuing in the midst of violence, destruction, and death. But it doesn't end there. The progression continues. And there's one last reality we see in this portion, in this this kind of fall portion, you know, of Genesis 3 through 11. And it's in Genesis 11, it's called the Tower of Babel. And what's going on here is it progresses from Adam to Cain to all people to world empires that are founded on power, oppression, and violence. And that's a pretty scary deal, isn't it? When when that heart that started at at Adam and Eve moves into world domination and power, that's pretty scary because Cain killed one person. He's called a murderer. But places like Babylon, Nineveh, or Rome, uh, they kill millions or any world power, and they're called conquerors. That's what the story of the Tower of Babel is about. See, before we get to this story, after the flood, it talks about these rulers and leaders, and one of them is Nimrod, and he finds Babylon, which is probably where they're at when they're writing this, you know, underneath, you know, slavery at Babylon. He talk, he finds Nineveh. You got to heard of Jonah and Nineveh, right? That's one evil place. These are world powers he's talking about. So this is the story. In Genesis 11, it goes, come, let us make bricks, these leaders, these world powers are saying, we'll bake them thoroughly. They used brick instead of stone. Stone was old school they're using new technology right they're going to build a a powerful city and they're going to use this stuff from mortar i tried to find it at home depot i couldn't find it then they said come let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens we're going to build ourselves a powerhouse so that we may make a name for ourselves and not be scattered over the face of the whole earth this is about the progression of sin to empires and world powers that dominate, oppress and conquer. This is about powers that use advanced technology to destroy and rule over others. You see, this is, this is really the progression that the desire for more at any cost we saw in the garden has progressed to world powers which results in wars, greed, violence, oppression and so much more. And we've seen this from the time of the beginning and we continue to see it now, right? We continue to see it now. And what does God do? How does God respond to this? Let's build this thing for us, let's, let's be powerful. And here's something I found interesting of how God deals with this, right? He doesn't necessarily, he doesn't really show grace to the world powers. He doesn't really like cover them. This is what he does. I like this, it goes on, it says this, come, let's go down and confuse their language so they will not understand each other. And why? so that the Lord scattered them from there all over the earth and they stopped building the city. So he didn't necessarily show grace to the empires, he actually showed a heart to the oppressed, to those that that world power would dominate and rule and kill. You see, God's heart is to protect the oppressed, the innocent and those that suffer at the hands of power. And, And do we see that in our culture still? And this has never changed. I mean, we've seen it in the church culture, the stories now of the abuse of power. It's just, does it make you sick? I mean, that's the Babel story. We're going to build. I'm going to become great, and I will be in charge, and I will be God. This is the overarching narrative we see throughout the Bible, this journey of Genesis 3 through 11. We see it throughout the scriptures. We see it throughout life and history. But Jesus tells us to pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. God's not about separating, but about bringing together, rescuing and redeeming. Yes, the problem is systemic and is issues of that sin that starts in the heart and it permeates deep into the fabric of human life on all levels. But God has been on a rescue mission from the beginning. Drawing people back to himself, clothing them, protecting them, desiring them to see and know him. But sin has been blinding humankind for a long time, causing us to continuously repeat the same things we see in Genesis 3 through 11 over and over and over again. Setting up power over others to gain a more godlike status in the world. And it can happen in our own homes, it can happen in our communities, in our culture, and in the world. It's still going on violence, power, oppression, greed, wars, empires, religion, broken relationships, arguing, fighting, and ultimately death, just like God warned. But God has done something beautiful. In his desire to bring heaven and earth together, he actually ended up coming to earth. in the man, Jesus Christ, he taught the kingdom of God, being founded and established, and it's gonna advance through love, forgiveness, faith, and hope, not violence and war and power, but humility. He stand opposed to the religious and political leaders of that time. We're at this like, You know, this like this huge time where they ruled everything. And he stand opposed to them. And he actually ended up giving himself over to them where the full weight of sin and wrath and destruction were placed on him as he took on the beatings and the the humiliation and all the things that we just read about. He took on and ultimately paid the price of death. But he rose from the dead in three days because he wanted us to know that death does not have the final word. His kingdom does. And his kingdom is now established and will now be moving forward. And it's gonna be in and through us. His church that here we are 2,000 years later still moving forward. I mean, God is rescuing us. He's rescuing us. He closed us with Christ like he did Adam and Eve. He cast out fear through love like he did to Cain. And he promises life, not death, like we see in the flood. And he established his kingdom through love as we saw his heart during the Tower of Babel time. I want to encourage us to open our hearts and minds today to the love of God through Christ. He has paid a price. He has carried sin. He has experienced death. And he's defeated it. He wants you to know that in God's heart, it's about forgiveness, grace, love, and hope, and life is available in and through him. You don't have to fear. You can just be in awe. And I hope you might see the beauty of this story. And Even though it continuously takes place, God is still moving and, and still showing us that he moves towards, he moves towards, and he moves towards. I want to close with one verse. I, I thought it was a fitting verse that kind of ties it together. 1 Corinthians 15, 22, for as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. You pray with me. Father God, thank you so much for this, this, this story. It's so powerful and amazing to see this journey of falling and, and problems and destruction from Adam and Eve to Cain and Abel to the flood and to Babel. This, this systemic problem of, of sin and, and in its wake comes guilt and shame and death and murder and power and oppression and so many other things. But in the midst of this story, you kept moving and you clothed, you protected, you cleansed. And you also protected those that are oppressed. You you showed your heart towards your creation and towards the people that you have created in your image. And what a beautiful, beautiful picture! And as we continue this journey towards Easter, as we continue to unpackage this narrative, this story, this rescue, you, your rescuer that you are, may you just. May it have a deep impact on our lives. May we begin to see things differently. May we begin to see the beauty of as we're followers of of you, like kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of earth has has come together in us as you dwell in us as your people, as the power of your spirit. What a beautiful reality. And may we begin to see the power of us loving and caring and, and showing that same heart as we advance your cause and your kingdom as we love as you have loved us. May your kingdom come and your will be done in our lives and through our lives as is being done in heaven. And may you receive all the glory and the honor and praise in Jesus' name. Amen.